Hello and welcome to the Dyson Men podcast with your host, David. Today we're going to be discussing a number of board games that I've been playing recently, as well as a couple of board games that I'm looking forward to coming out in the near future. So first we're going to just discuss a couple of games that I've recently played. Um, a couple of these I played quite recently at the Bastion Gaming Convention, or I should say kind of more of a board game meetup that was based in Conwy in North Wales. Uh, the first one to discuss that I played was one I was looking forward to playing for quite a little while, and this one was The Thing, Infection at Outpost 31. This is a hidden role game for four to eight players, the idea being that one of the players, or eventually more of the players, are infected by an alien virus that allows them to assimilate organic life perfectly. And so, effectively, someone in the room playing this game with you is not on your team. But throughout the game, you will be playing as if you are on the same team. The human team, the, their entire objective is to escape from the outpost that they're based in. The way they do that is by moving from sector to sector, completing various different objectives. So throughout their particular sector that they're in at the moment, there will be various different items that are spread out. So it might be for the first sector they need to collect two pieces of rope and defeat the thing. And by doing that, they will go to various different rooms, flip over a mission a mission card that will say to them something like we need to um, complete a certain objective in a certain way it might be that um, everyone handed a card and as long as one of those cards has a plus one uh, plus one dice on it then you pass the mission or it could be more complicated ones where you know you have to you everyone handed a card you shuffle them up and as long as all of them have a plus one dice written on it you pass the mission otherwise you fail the main interesting point of this game is the hidden role, obviously, in that certain people that you pick to go on these missions with you uh, might well be the infected player who's looking to sabotage the mission. But an interesting twist on this particular game is, is that the human players only succeed if the minimum number of human players escape the base. So if you're playing a game with seven players, you need to make sure that four human players escape on the helicopter at the end. The infected players can win the game if an infected player manages to get on the helicopter at the end and escape the base. And so it is a good strategy for an infected player to completely just work alongside the humans, do everything you need to do, never try and sabotage the mission by putting in a wrong card or a sabotage card that means the mission immediately fails regardless of any other card that's in the hand of the captain at the time. Because at the end of the game, you might well then just be put on the plane, because, or put on the helicopter, sorry, because um, there's no reason for anyone to suspect that you are, in fact, an assimilated player. However, if you don't in any way try and sabotage the mission, then the basically, uh, if the human players get to the end without having that much trouble, then the human players will be given two blood tests they can give at the end of the game. And whenever these blood tests are administered, the players that they've been administered to, if, the, if one of the players happened to be infected, they have to flip their card and reveal that they were infected, and so they cannot be picked to go on that final helicopter to leave. And so you're kind of, you're risking, you're risking a lot if you don't try and sabotage the mission at all, because at the end of the game, if you're picked, then all of your hard work went to nothing. And so you have to have a little bit of sabotage in there, or at least you have to pray and hope that the team just sabotages themselves. Or you need to somehow determine who the other infected players are, if there are any, and be able to make sure, okay, effectively try and give some kind of cue that allows the infected players to work together. Because in this game, you don't know who your fellow bad guys are. There's no mafia-style bad guys open your eyes, reveal yourself to each other, close your eyes, and now everyone closes their eyes. There's nothing similar to that. The infected players don't know who each other are, and therefore cannot coordinate any kind of um, dickishness to the other human players. 
I like this game as well, not just because of that element in that the infected players can't work together and also it's a good strategy to simply just remain hidden for the whole game. Um, I like it because the game is quite short. I've played a couple of hidden role games that can go on quite long, for example Battlestar Galactica, which can take a very long time and uh, by the end of it it's kind of a relief just to finish it. As much as I like that game, it is just a bit of a relief just to get through to the end because it can last up to three to four hours and frankly sometimes any any board game that hasn't got that much to it like that can just really drag on you know unless you're talking about something like twilight imperium a game that goes on that long generally is a bad game uh i prefer games when it comes to hidden roll games that, that are like uh, for example Res resistance avalon resistance avalon quite sure you just got to get through certain missions at the end of the game if the bad guys have, have sabotaged more missions than you've succeeded in then uh, you lose the game as the good guys or win as the bad guys it's very straightforward, but it has the, the key element of discussion in that throughout the game you are discussing things, you are saying, why should we suspect this person? Oh, because they sabotaged this mission. How do we know that? You're just saying that because you sabotaged the mission, and so on and so on and so on. There's a constant sense of suspicion and paranoia, people trying to work it out people trying to work out, you know, what their uh, you know, what the problem is, you know, who they need to trust, who they can't trust. It, it leads to very interesting discussions and um, frankly it, it's why hidden role games are fun. So in a game like The Thing where you still have a lot of mechanics that are going on but you are still focusing on that discussion phase, unlike Resistance Avalon where it's basically all discussion phase, um, I find that it's a good happy medium between those two games and also the fact that I love the Thing movie so much. John Carpenter is one of my favourite directors anyway, um, just adds to my love of that game. Next game I want to talk about is Snake Oil. Snake Oil is a party game. Uh, it's in the same, a similar sort of vein as a Cards Against Humanity, which uh, you know is basically you know you take a card, you have a handful of cards. Someone's playing as like the moderator, and everyone else uh, plays certain cards and tries to make everyone else laugh, but especially the moderator. And the moderator then selects one of the cards or one of the collection of cards, and that and that uh, person wins the point. And then you keep going around for a predetermined amount of time, and then the person who has the most amount of moderator cards wins the game. So, um, snake oil. Effectively, what you're doing is that you're selling a product to the moderator. You have two. You have a number of cards in your hand. You take two of them and combine them into a product, and then you use your business acumen to be able to sell this product to them. And most of the time, you're trying to make the funniest one you can, or maybe you're trying to make one that's just the most apt to the particular customer. Something they can't deny is just the most useful, and so they pick it. But the game is generally centered around humor, especially you're trying to, you know, you're trying to sell something ridiculous to someone. So let's say you're trying to sell to a caveman, and you turn up and say, I've got fire can, fire in a can, put your can, can fire up there because it's going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. Oh, wait, sorry, you haven't invented bread yet. That sort of thing. It, it's all about just creating hilarious combinations or trying to make a combination that just works so well for the particular customer. And it's, uh, it, it's in the moment, it's my party game of choice. It's a thing I pull out, you know, if you're having a drinks night, it's a perfect thing to play. Uh, most people can follow it. It gets better the drunker you are, but it doesn't rely on that. It just means that you're, you know, you have, you know, you're more willing to come up with some crazy combinations. It's funnier watching people trying to explain their product when it just doesn't work, and they know it doesn't work, but they're just so keen to make sure that someone understands what their full process was when they picked those two cards. It, it, for that reason, at the moment, it's my party game of choice. There's a couple of other ones that I would give mentions to, such as Fun Employees and uh, Bucket of Doom, which are also interesting that allow you to combine cards to be able to, you know, make like a really funny kind of scenario. 
or a funny item or product or something like that. But snake oil, just because you're trying to sell to someone, I think it just it gets the edge because you're really laying on the platitudes, laying on the, the spiel, and it just it really does just strikes a chord with me. So, last game I'm going to talk about that I'm playing recently is Photosynthesis. Photosynthesis is a very popular game, doesn't really need that much, to, that much of an introduction. Uh, you go to any board game group, pretty much anywhere in the world at this point, and you will be seeing posts all about Photosynthesis. It's a very simple game. The game basically has you planting trees on a board, planting seeds to grow more trees, either or using points to be able to expand your tree to be bigger and bigger, the bigger the tree is, the more light points it will get. Um, but the rub of the game is, is that um, in order to get points that you need to then um, expand your trees or make more of them, uh, is you get them by effectively having contact with the sun. In that as long as sunlight is hitting your trees, they will then give you light points that you can then use to be able to expand your trees. It's basically an economic game in that sense, but at the same time, uh, you need to be able to know when is the best time to actually harvest your trees because when you harvest a tree that's when you actually get the victory points that you need to win the game at the end and so you might have a really good little economy going when you're making tons of light points but if you're just hanging on until the end of the game it might be that someone's already captured most of the victory points and the victory points that you're getting at the end you just don't have enough turns to be able to actually um, enough turns to be able to harvest your trees and get the victory points you need to win on top of that, if you happen to have trees that are taller than your opponents and they're shading the tree, as in like where the direction of the light is coming from, the, the, the sun revolves around the board. And so when these light beams are coming in, which you can tell just from the, the direction of the arrows that are pointing towards the board, if there is a bigger tree blocking out your tree that's planted behind it, then that tree won't receive any light points. And so it's a good strategy at the beginning of the game to just grow your trees around the edge of the board, knowing that you will obviously be getting direct contact from the sun, they won't be, and they won't be a problem. However, if you do that, um, you will only ever be harvesting the lowest amount of victory points you can, because the closer to the centre of the board you are, the more victory points you'll harvest when you actually harvest the tree. Um, which is a good little mechanic, meaning that when do I move to the middle? But if I move to the middle, then there's a good chance that I'll be blocked off from other sunlight. And so, there's the main rub of the game. It's a, it's a beautiful game, and that's the main reason I like it, is because the component quality of the game is so well done that... Um, that I just when I'm playing it, I'm just enjoying the little uh, the little tapestry of trees that are being created by all of the players, and so even if um, the game itself might just strike you as a bit, you know, just a bit samey, and it might just come across as a little bit well, not not boring so much, just uh, it's just you know one note, I do this, I do that, I do this, I do that. Um, the various different combinations you can uh, you can. Uh, create and the various different things you can do in the game to try and create the best economy of trees as it were to be able to get the most amount of victory points in the end there are loads of different ways that you can go about it and not all of them will work every time because your opponents are going to also change up their strategies and so it's a very reactive game in that sense but it's also fairly cutthroat in that you know by planting a tree in a certain place you may have really screwed over someone else's chance of winning and you may not even immediately know exactly how you've done it but you know other than the fact that when you plant down the tree you see their face suddenly drop and some of those things that you do some of those moves that you make um, that allow that just show people at their worst effectively um, is why I like these games is why these games why board games in general um, you know are just you know one of my favorite things to play because you just get that amazing interaction with people
Okay, so that's just a quick snapshot of some of the games I've been playing that I found very interesting. Uh, but the last thing I'm going to talk about today are just games to look out for. So these are a couple of games that I've either spotted around the internet, or just games that I've heard through word of mouth or something like that, that um, I've looked into and I think really are worth your time. So the first one I just heard about, like before I started recording this podcast even, I just heard about, and this one is Dragon Ball Z, the board game. Now, I've loved Dragon Ball Z since I was very young. This is one of the few animes that I actually watched, and again, I think most people have watched Dragon Ball Z by this point, at least if they're remotely interested in anime, they know of it. Um, it's uh, And they're making a board game out of it, effectively. I was at first dubious when I heard they were making a board game, because I thought, you know, how is this going to work? Is it just going to be like a very basic like Monopoly-style game that has a Dragon Ball Z paint job? Turns out, no, it's going to be more of a two-player dueling game, or maybe a multiplayer dueling game, where you have, you will play as one character, and you will have various cards that you can do, so you might be like, you play a card that lets you, as Goku, fire a Kamehameha, or maybe you're playing as a Vegeta and you fire a Final Flash, or a Big Bang Attack, you might have cards that let you react, so someone fires an energy beam at you and you deflect it, or you know, you 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 be able to like, stack cards to be able to throw a really powerful spirit bomb at someone, or something like that. Uh, the, the game, for that reason, sounds really interesting. It sounds quite fun. It may not be the most in-depth game when it comes to strategy, but the component quality what I've seen so far looks really nice. The boards, they're going to be 9x9 grids. They look really interesting too. Look spot on with the show. So for anyone that's a fan of Dragon Ball Z like myself, it's going to be, you know, even if it's just a collector's item at the end of the day, it's something that I will happily have on my shelf just because of the fact that it's Dragon Ball Z and it looks, it looks lovely so far. So that's one to definitely look out for. The next one is very similar to a game I've already mentioned. This one is called Who Goes There, which is based upon the classic novella by John Campbell. That novella actually became the John Carpenter movie The Thing, which is where obviously The Thing and Fetch and Outpost 31 came from. The game is similar in that you will have potentially two different players. Um, so you'll have, um, sorry, you'll effectively have um, two different teams of players, although that may not happen immediately, of you know infected people and non-infected people that are just trying to get through to the end of the game. But at the same time, your characters are trying to each individually complete objectives. It might be, say, that you have to, say, fix a tarpaulin on the Antarctic tent, and you need a certain item to do that, you don't have it in your hand at the moment, and so you have to ask the whole table, does anyone have any of this repair material? And someone might say, oh, I do, um, I'll give you one, and if you agree to take it from them, it might turn out that that person you agreed to take it from was infected, and because of the interaction you've had of them giving you this item, you might well now be infected and on the bad team. And that's the uh, and that's the interesting part about the game is that you have these interactions, but it's completely social based. It's very similar to the thing, except you're not trying to complete objectives as a team per se, but you are working together to be able to complete individual objectives. It might be that you form these little alliances. Like, okay, I'll give you some nails, but in return, I need you to give me some wood to be able to fix up something out back or something like that or it could be that your character um, you know you're saying oh for security I want someone to stay in my room with me so there's less chance that an infected player will come in and infect me as well but then it might turn out the person who invited in is also an infected player or the person who originally invited people to stay in their room was infected and they were bringing them in so they could infect them themselves the, the possibilities of player interaction is quite high in this game and I love the theme anyway as I said with the thing so this is something that I'm definitely looking forward to coming out in the future um, and I would say anyone is interested in role games again, this is another solid entry, and so you know, definitely pick this up when it comes out. 
Last one to look at something that I this is a game I don't really know that much about. Um, I've seen quite a lot of it. Seen a lot of it. it. It's mainly from what I've seen of the game rather than the actual how the rules are going to play. And this one is Lords of Hellas. Now. I'm very, very interested in ancient Greece. Um, it's one of my favourite historical time periods. I've studied quite a few lectures on it, studied it, studied it at various different points in my life. Um, so it's something that I'll definitely be um, looking into for that reason alone. However, there is a, there is a slight um, change in this game in that effectively it, it's a very well-trod idea, but well-trodden idea, but the idea is, is that effectively... Um, Ancient Greece was inspired by aliens. Aliens came down and gave them advanced technology, um, and that's what led to the great the rise in ancient Greek civilization. Um, so the game has very interesting artwork in that you have a mixture of ancient Greek um, artistry, ancient Greek weaponry, and uh, you know, architecture. But um, you have it mixed in with various different alien influences. So you have like you know, these kind of big glowing laser things, and you know these like have an ancient Greek spear, but it has like a gun attached to it or something. All that kind of stuff. So it, it's something I would say if you're interested in the time period, have a look into it because it's um, it, it frankly looks really cool. But at the same time, you know. The, the gameplay mechanics look, they're going to be quite Euro in that you have various different ways you can win either being like the greatest military commander or being the greatest uh, you know architect or the greatest you know, statesman various different ways you can win or having the biggest economy so there's various different ways to win but there is this alien theme that's interlaced within the entire this, this ancient Greek game so very you know a lot of people are tired of that Mediterranean theme of you know just trading in the Mediterranean and it, it's something that's so overdone but uh, this adds a little spin to it, and it looks quite cool. So anyone's interested in that sort of game, look up Lords of Hellas. I'm not sure when it's going to be released. I think some people might actually have already got Kickstarter copies of this game. So it, for retail, I'm not sure when that's going to be released. But those that have already kickstarted it, they'll be getting their packages fairly soon. Okay, so that's where I'm going to leave it for today. Um, this was the first of Dice and Men podcast, but I'm going to be looking to doing these once a month, although potentially that might change and become more frequent in the future, but for the moment we'll be doing them monthly. So tune in next time and we'll discuss a couple more board games that I've been playing, as well as a couple more board games that are um, coming up on the horizon. So thank you very much for listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.